It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Today, I'll talk about a Brinks heist, the Kristen Smart trial, the upcoming Zoe Campus trial is also on the agenda, and I'll discuss a whole bunch of other stuff, including how people who enforce rules for no reason really tick me off. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for July 25th, 2022. Hello, everyone. It is the Unfound Live Show for July 25th, 2022. As you can see, I am back in my uh, rented condo here in Clearwater Beach, Florida. I've been here since uh, last Wednesday morning, and I'll get into that in a bit. But it's good to be back. Got to get my, I mean, got to look my hair here for a second. Hold on. All right. There we go. Um, I hope everybody's doing well. And before I get uh, too far into this, I want to remind all of you to, if you are not yet a subscriber, by the way, subscription rates for this channel have been spectacular this summer. Um, doing very well in that category. And for all of you who have uh, signed up, and to subscribe to this channel for the first time, I deeply, deeply appreciate it. If you're not yet a subscriber, of course, the button is right there. And I think it will be worth your time. Lots of videos to watch, and I am always uh, uploading new things. Of course, this live show, the episodes themselves come out on video on Fridays. Now that we're using Zoom to do interviews. And, you know, uh, Unfound Now, of course, uh, the next Unfound Now will be coming out uh, before the end of the month. And I put the newsletters on here, all sorts of things. So subscribing to the Unfound podcast channel, um, you'll never be bored. And uh, as you are watching, as I, what do I always say? What have I been saying for years now? Just give this video a thumbs up right now. I know with the other videos, the episode, you want to wait to the end. You want to make sure you get your money's worth, even though it's all free. But you know for these live shows, they're always spectacular. So right now, before you forget, on your phone, on your laptop, on your tablet, just hit that button down there and give this video a thumbs up before you go any further. That way, two hours from now, you won't the show won't end and you'll be like, oh, I forgot. I forgot, what did, how did I do that? How did I forget to give the video a thumbs up? Just do it right now. Now, if you're feeling uh, a little um, generous right now, uh, maybe you want to check out the join button down there. 
by joining and becoming a member of this channel, you get a lot of uh, cool stuff for the low, low price of 10 cents a day. What do you get? Well, you'll get the episodes free, uh, of course, and and, um, early, like a day early, usually like about, of course, as you know, uh, episodes come out at 2 p.m. Eastern on Fridays. You'll get it about 18 hours early, usually on Thursday sometime. You will also get the Unfound Now episodes early, like a week early. So I'll be doing an Unfound Unfound Now episode later this week. You will get it when I'm finished. Everybody else will have to wait probably till about August 6th or 7th or something like that. In addition, I do a daily update video. In fact, I just did one uh, about uh, 20 minutes ago, uh, letting all of you know who are members, what's going on with Unfound, things going on behind the scenes. What kind of work is Ed getting done today? That you can get all of that by hitting the join button down there for the low, low price of 10 cents a day. All right. So now that uh, all of the business stuff is out of the way, and I'll probably come back to some of that as we continue through this two hour live show. That's how long these live shows end up being. Got a lot to talk about, given that I am uh, back here in Florida, a whirlwind tour from. Uh, to Illinois, where I, uh, of course, as you know, I went up there to play some disc golf. Did not play very well. <clears throat> but I got to see my buddy Dave. Uh, got to meet his wife, his sons. We had a good time. I was there six days. I don't know how they could stand me for all that time, but they did. And then I went over to my sister's and uh, hung out with her. Of course, I see that my nephew Charles is in here. Hello, Charles. But I was over to see her and Charles' sons. We had a good time playing uh, some Uno and some other things. Watched a movie. And then, of course, last week's live show, I did that from my dad's place in Pennsylvania. All of you are now very familiar with the room in which I, uh, which I used to do all of the unfound work. Um, you'll, you'll remember that the door is, uh, back to my right back there. And, the, and that's that bedroom that I stay in, uh, and all the, all the time when I go up there. So I did the live show up there last, uh, Monday. And then I also did the interview for last, uh, this past Friday's episode from there too. Maybe you saw that or no, it did. Did I No, no, that actually I did from down here. I'm getting confused. But then on Tuesday in the afternoon, around 2 o'clock, I jumped in my car and I drove the whole way back here to Florida. I got here around 6 in the morning, only had, really only had to make one gas stop, but I made two gas stops because it was going to be close. And it was a pretty smooth drive, no problems, no trouble with police. I love driving at night as long as I am somewhat awake because there's not a lot of cars on the road and getting out there at like two, three in the morning. It's just the perfect way to drive. So I made it back here to um, Clearwater Beach, Florida, and I don't anticipate going anywhere for any length of time anytime soon. Uh, you know, for more than a day or something like that. So uh, 
Um, that's, uh, that's been, uh, how I got back finally to Florida and, uh, it's great to be here. Now, what are some of the things that have gone on since uh, I got back? Well, I did a little disc golfing down in Estero. I signed up for two, actually two one day tournaments down there. And I only ended up playing in one of them. And the reason is this on Saturday, I played at Estero and I have a story, a little story, of course, to tell all of you. But I have to admit, I barely got through that round. I think it was a combination of not getting enough sleep. I went to bed very late on Friday night, technically Saturday morning. And then I had to get up early to drive two hours and 20 minutes down to Estero to play. So I think it was that. I don't think that I got properly hydrated before I got out in the course. And then it ended up being like 90-some degrees out there. And I'm telling you, about the last six baskets, I had a big question mark whether I was going to be able to finish. I was feeling like crap. and um, But I made it through, and I love that course, and I played fairly well for feeling like I did. I shot two under, which is pretty good. But then I got screwed. <laughs> by uh, what happened afterwards. And that was that a storm rolled in. Some guys didn't get to finish their rounds. And because of that, due to PDGA rules, some people's rounds ended up being better than others. And I was one of the people, given that I actually got through my round, I kind of got worked by the rules that the PDGA, the Professional Disc Golf Association rules, for such circumstances. And so when I saw how well I shot, but the rating that I got for that round was way lower than it should be. And I don't have time to get into all the ratings and all these things, but, um, you know, the the, the round that I shot should have been rated pretty well, well above what my PDGA rating is, which is 914. It should have been rated at like a 930-something round, which means I shot better than my rating, which means my rating then has a chance to go up. And that's what all disc golfers are hoping to, um, you know, make the ratings go up. That means you're getting better. Well, the round got rated well below my rating. And so I couldn't understand. This is a true story. I couldn't understand this. So uh, a good friend of mine, his name is Cameron, just happens to be the Florida coordinator for the PDGA. I told him what happened. And I also told this guy, Tim, who is a disc golf hall of famer who I know very well. And he used to run a lot of tournaments back in the day. I asked both of them about it and they both had the same response that, you know what? That's just kind of, it sucks, but that's kind of what the rules are. So, so this morning, because I still think that I got worked by this, I don't think that uh, what happened was fair regarding how they ended up grading and rating the tournament and how some guys didn't get to finish and everything. I wrote a message to the rules person at the PDGA explaining everything that went on and a link to the tournament page on the PDGA site. And he did get back to me. And it was a very canned response of, well, you know what? Those are the rules. 
And, you know, he sent me a link to what the rules are for such situations and everything else. And, you know, it was a very, I guess, corporate answer. It's obvious to me that the way they do it is not right. But so, so you know me. Well, some of you know me. Uh, I, I can be, um, you know, I can have a sharp tongue sometimes. And so I wrote back to the guy and I said, thanks, Mike. I said, I guess just guess next time that I'll have to get a later tea time. So I didn't, don't get screwed over by the PDGA rules and the rating algorithm. I said, I continued, in fact, maybe the weather will be so bad that I don't get to play at all. <laughs> I just left it at that. It's so messed up. Uh, it put me in a mood, and maybe I'm still in a little bit of a mood anyway. And I think that this mood continues to carry over from how I played at Worlds and some of the things that went on there that I did not think were right. And I really, you know, uh, there were just some things that went on that got to me playing there, frankly. And um, so maybe it was that. And then I did go down to play at Estero and played really well and have not was not rewarded for it. And that got to me. So when it came to playing on Sunday, I just didn't even bother to play. I uh, told, I sent a message to the TD saying, I'm not going to show up. It was a combination of things. I wasn't, I was still feeling the effects of the day before. And frankly, I had a lot of unfound work to do anyway. So I just decided to bow out of that tournament. And I uh, drove back here. And luckily, I got a lot of work done on Sunday. And really, it wasn't until today that I've probably felt like myself again. I must have slept 10 hours last night or something crazy like that. So I just hate it when things don't make sense. The rule, and I, like I said, I don't have time to get on. Not, hardly any of you are disc golfers, and you know, I don't want to get into the minutia. It just doesn't make any sense the way it, it worked out. And it ticks me off. And uh, I went down there. I drove two out, two and a half hours. I played well in horrible hot conditions, fighting probably a little bit of heat stroke that I had, had going on. Played really well, putted well, only had one bogey. And then the rating of the round is like well below what it should be. So there's that. So I will be playing there tomorrow. It doubles over Taylor as long as it doesn't rain. But my next PDGA rated round uh, will actually be next Friday, August 5th, a week and a half from now, up at another one of my favorite courses, Floral City. And hopefully things will go better up there. Luckily, uh, my tea time isn't to like 3.30 or something like that. And uh, so it'll it'll be nicer up there than it probably was down in Estero. Estero, it's always windy down there. It's always hot down there. Always. So <laughs> that's what's been going on. Let's see who is in here. And then I will continue on with uh, things going on in my personal life. Hello, Karen. Fishing is in Orlando. Hello, fishing. I hope you're having a good time over there, whatever you're doing. Hello, Kathy. Suzanne. Nephew Charles, what's going on? Jasmine. 
DK uh, made it to the live show. Hello, DK. Deborah, hello. Um, congratulations on my tournament. You mean from Saturday? Um, yeah, there were only two guys in my division, so I couldn't help but win. But uh, I got to be honest, I'd rather be disqualified than live with that rating, but I don't think the TD is going to do that. In fact, I told the, the tournament director when I found out that I won, but the rating was going to be low, I, told the, I sent him a message, just disqualify me. I'd rather be disqualified and not get that rating. I don't think he's going to do that. So I guess that's going to, I guess that's going to go on my record as a win, even though it's really not right. Hello, Paula. Good to see you, Laura. DK. Oh, so you are uh, Kelly. Uh, everyone, I didn't, I didn't get that right till right now. DK, sorry. Actually, Kelly, uh, if you all remember this past uh, Friday. Um, I talked about meeting a listener at Worlds in Peoria. DK is that listener. So I was playing in a group with her husband. And uh, that was the second round, I believe. And uh, Kelly and I had a good discussion about Unfound. And in fact, uh, I talked about that last week during the live show about... um, you know, when meeting people in person, I hope I don't let them down. So, Kelly, I hope I didn't let you down. And I did get your email today. Thank you. Laura, I'm having some connection problems. Going to have to catch this on Spotify tomorrow. Ugh, bummer. I have a great show. Uh, my unfound family. Well, Laura, I'm sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear you're having some connection issues. Hey, man, how am I going to pronounce that? Hey, oif. Uh, hello once again from Edmonton. It's always so enjoyable listening to you. Oh, there we go. It's pronounced Ifa. Pronounced Colleen, Aoife Colleen, both Irish names meaning beautiful daughter. Well, you'd think, Aoife, that I would know that being that I'm two-thirds Irish, but I don't. I'm just some stupid American. So, Aoife, good to see you uh, in the live chat, in the live show tonight. Thank you for making the time. And then there comes in uh, Sheree, the administrator, my assistant, uh, watching out that everybody follows the rules and We'll see if we can avoid that uh, triple X-rated uh, troll from last week, Cherie. So, everybody, thank you for making time on the live show. And, of course, uh, yes, this is now a podcast. So if you do happen to miss part of it, you will find this in your podcast feed tomorrow morning. So that is some disc golf stuff that is going on. Uh, a little disgusted with the PDGA at this point. Between the worlds, between Astero. And we'll see how it goes. But my next PDGA-rated round will be up at Floral City a week and a half from now. That is like an hour and 50 minutes north of me. But I really like that course, too. So, and I, and I, so I hope I play well, and it's an enjoyable time. And whatever round that I shoot, I hope I get rated for that. And then after that... Wow, I don't think I'm going to be playing in another tournament until maybe the, I don't know if the Orlando tournament is going to happen or not. But if that doesn't happen, then the next tournament will actually be at Floral City City again, but it'll be over the weekend. It'll be like three rounds instead of just one round next Friday. So that's what's going on in my disc golf life. Uh, i got some car issues going on. Um, and I've discovered that this is actually a... Uh, a, a production issue with Hyundai's of uh, this particular year that I have. 
the paint on the roof is peeling off little by little by little by little. And I posted a picture of it on my Facebook page. And in fact, a guy I went to high school with, uh, his uh, daughter drives the same kind of car and it, it it's having the same issue. And in fact, he said when I posted the picture, he thought it was his daughter's car. Hers must be white as well. So I'm going to have to get something uh, done about that because, uh, of course, as you would suspect, when Peyton starts peeling out here near the salt water, bad things can happen quickly. I don't think it's anything that has to do with anything I've done with the car. It's pretty clear that this is a, a production issue. And I've already learned that people have tried to contact Hyundai about it and getting some relief, you know, some help getting it repainted. And I think they none of them have been very successful. So if it's going to get fixed, I'm going to have to pay for it. And I'm not looking forward to that. But I almost feel like I have to get it done because, because the car runs so well. It has 95,000 miles on it now. Uh, I put how many? 3,000-some miles on it driving from here to Illinois to Pennsylvania, or to Ohio to Pennsylvania, and back to Florida. It was 3,000-some miles just in that. And the car runs so well. And I've had no problems with it. I've put tires on it, and that's been about it. And oil changes. It's crazy. I've had it for like 60,000 miles on it. I've put no brakes on it. Nothing. It just continues to run. Gets like 36 miles of the gallon at 75 miles an hour. Spectacular car. So I'm going to have to pay to get this roof fixed. And it just pains me. But I just, it's just going to continue to get, once it starts happening, it just is going to keep happening. And as all of you probably know, at various times, all the manufacturers have had paint problems. I remember going back uh, late 80s into early 90s. I remember Chrysler had a problem with certain silvers and blues that they put on their cars that the paint would start to dull. It wasn't flaking off, but it would start to, um, there's a word for it. I can't think of it right now, but it would start to dull. It would lose its shine and there was nothing you could, um, you know, nothing you could do to make it better. But to me, that's better than it flaking off, which is so when mine is flaking off, you can see the bare metal there. And there's like a patch that's about this big and a patch that's about this big right near the front of the windshield where the wind is hitting it, you know, and that's of course helping to, peel it off. GS is oxidized. There you go, GS. I knew somebody in the crowd would know what that word is. Yes, Chrysler had some problems with oxidation of their uh, paint back in the 80s into the 90s. I only know that because my family was in the car business. And I can remember a lot of minivans coming in that had that issue. And I don't know if Chrysler helped any of those people out or not. And for that, it was like all over the car. But manufacturers, once in a while, who knows why it happens? I don't know. You'd think after a hundred years of cars being on the road, you wouldn't have any paint problems. So I'm going to have to get that figured out uh, probably more sooner than later. I had a paint problem on the Taurus that I had before this car, but it was something totally different. There was some 
rusting that was bubbling up underneath the paint that I ended up getting fixed on the Taurus that I had. And when, you know, as soon as I got that fixed, it blew a head gasket. So there you go. Hopefully that won't happen uh, with this Sonata, but this car has just been spectacular, like a tank. And, um, and it's the very reason my dad ended up getting a Hyundai that he got rid of his Jeep and got a Hyundai because he knew how good this car has been for me. And, um, and, uh, you know, they just have, at least my year has a good reputation. Now I, there's a guy that disc golfs that I run into once in a while. He has like a 2018 or 2019 Sonata. He said the engine blew up on his with like 20,000 miles on it and had to get it replaced. You know, I, I don't know, but, um, it's been a good one for me. M says, peel. Yeah, the paint is peeling away on my Hyundai. And in fact, if any of you are uh, friends with me on Facebook, you know that I posted a picture there maybe a week ago or something. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, I can find somewhere here in Pinellas County that is reasonable. Maybe I'll go back to the place that painted the Taurus. I suppose I could do that. I have to think about that. Uh, didn't they? Did didn't they skip a coating? I really don't know why it happened. Um, I, I I don't know. Um, you know, my perception is that you know it started probably about a year ago. There was just these little paint chips above the windshield that started, and then it, it just was like I don't know what's going on there. But then when it really started is when I went to speak down at. Florida International University back in March. And when I was driving back, I went right as I was getting into Pinellas County around the Skyway Bridge, I hit this horrendous storm. One of the worst rainstorms I've ever driven through at night. So I get home safely, luckily, but the next day when I go down to my car, I noticed that those little things had become a lot bigger. And so the water, obviously, from that storm had kind of pushed some of that paint off, and it has slowly, slowly, slowly gotten worse since then. It's very incremental. But I do know if I went down there and actually tried to start taking the paint off the top of my car, I probably would be able to take a lot of it off. So I'm just staying away from it. It also means that I have to kind of stay away from washing my car because I'm afraid you go through a wash or something. It might take all the paint off the, the roof off. So, so my car is a little dirty is what I'm saying, I guess. So I don't, I don't know uh, the technicalities of that. Something, it just seems to me like the paint on these cars are good for like four or five years. And then all of a sudden something lets go and it just starts peeling. I, I don't know the science of it. Once again, want to remind all of you, if you are watching, uh, please give this video a thumbs up, please. I, I see how many viewers are in here, but we do not have as many thumbs up yet. So there's that. So please uh, give this video a thumbs up. And thank you for making time to watch on this Monday night, or if you're listening on Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, wherever. Moving on to some of the other things going on with me. This building has a new manager, and let's just say I can tell. This must have just happened maybe within the last month. I've noticed some new signs up, and there is now a sign up 
in the elevators that, you know, some people, of course, people live here actually own their places. And so because of that, they are allowed to have pets in their places. Well, there is a new sign in the elevators or down at like on the second and first floor posted by the elevators that says that all dog owners, you're going to love this. This is a new one. All dog owners are not allowed to have walk their dogs on the property. So if they have to go walk their dogs, they have to carry their dogs from the elevator to public property out there at the sidewalk. True story. So if you have some 50-pound dog, you got to carry it. No dogs are allowed to be walking on this property. Now, how many people own dogs here? At least a few. You know, there are people that I've run into over the last three years who I know live on other floors. Of course, I live here, but I rent, but I'm guessing they live here and they own. But there are some dog owners in this building, and there's the other building, uh, the similar building, the twin, uh, just north of here. Surely they own uh, own, dogs. places and they have dogs they have to carry them to a public property to walk them true story and this is one of those issues that here's what we all know being that i've lived here for over three years the only way that becomes a rule is because there have been people here who have had dogs and are letting letting their dogs crap on this property, not cleaning up. We know that. That's why this exists. Here's what I also know. Nobody who, who lives in this building is allowing their dog to do that. The problem is the people who come here and only stay for a week, stay for a couple weeks, And they bring their dogs and they're allowed to bring their dogs. Whoever owns those condos or renting those condos out, just like I'm renting this one out, but I live here permanently. These people are bringing their dogs and they're taking their dogs out just to the edge of the property or going over here by the pool, just letting their dogs go and um, not doing anything. So these signs that exist you know, it's really an inconvenience for people who live here. I mean, people who come down for, for a week, if they follow the rules, okay, I have to carry my dog out to the sidewalk for a week. Big deal. But for all the people who actually live here. And so that's how I can tell that there's a new manager. Now, on a personal level, the reason I know is because, as I've talked about before, my front door does not open up into the building When I open my front door, it is actually outside. There's a roof and everything, but I call it the landing. That's where the elevators are, but there are are no windows over there. So as soon as I walk out the door, it's Florida heat. But there is a nice area out there by the elevators where I actually practice my disc golf punting. And why can I do that? Why, Why can I do that? It's because nobody else lives on this floor usually. They were very, the, the people over here in unit A are, they're maybe here three weeks a year, maybe, and they never rent it out. Unit D, there are, four, there are four units on this floor. Unit D is getting refurbished. 
In fact, I've heard workers over there. I've seen the door open. The entire condo is completely stripped inside. They're totally redoing it. So, of course, nobody's there. And I sometimes there are people right next to me in Unit C. I'm in Unit B. Unit C is there right here. A lot of times, most of the time, there's nobody there either. I'm on this floor by myself. I know. It sounds beautiful, and it is. So I'm able to go out there like at night, maybe at 11 o'clock, midnight. I'll go out there and practice my disc golf putting. So I'm out there, must have been last Thursday night, maybe. I don't think it was Friday night. must have been Thursday night after trivia. I came home, did some things, went out there to practice my putting. Now, you should keep in mind, I've been here three years. I re- we have security guards. They walk the premise, premises once in a while. But I've not seen one in quite a long time. But I can tell you that once in a while, I've been out there putting within the last three years. A security guard will come by. He'll hear appear out of the stairwell. And we're like, hey, what's up? I'll talk to the guy, and he'll continue his rounds. No big deal. Last Thursday night, I'm out there putting. Some security guard who I've never seen before appears uh, out there, and he goes, hey, man, you can't be doing this. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, you can't be doing this. This this is a common area. This is not allowed. I said, I've been doing, I've been doing this for three years and I've had other security guards see me doing, you know, putting out here. I'm not hurting anything. I'm not damaging anything. What are you talking about? And he goes, well, this is a common area. And I say to him, how can it be a common area when I'm the only person who is ever on this floor? And he goes, well, you, you can't be doing this and see. This is one of those things. This is one of those reasons that I could have never been in a corporate atmosphere because every time a new manager, a new supervisor, a new president comes in, they feel like they have to lay the law down. They have to put their mark on what is going on here. Um, This is what's going on right now. And that's why the dog sign is there. That's why there's this new security guy telling me I I can't do my putting from like 20 feet away with plastic discs in an area where nobody else is. You know, everybody's so dang worried about new rules. And this is why I could have never lived in a corporate atmosphere. Because if I was a security guard in this building and came upon somebody putting up on the eighth floor where I know nobody is, and there's nobody else on this floor, and nobody's ever complained or anything else – and I felt like I had to enforce some stupid rule like this, I would start questioning my existence on this earth. And I'm so happy when it comes to Unfound that I'm not doing that. That I, I can just be genuine, I can be sensible, I can be logical, and there's nobody above me, you know, making rules that make no sense. And I even said to the guy, well, you know, you know, you could pretend that you just don't know that I'm doing this. And he was like, no, I, I can't do that. I'm thinking to myself, you know, how, you know, <laughs> it just, it just seems so petty. You know, I realize the reason the rules in general exist, but I also know that the reason some of these things are happening is not because of anybody who lives in this building, not me who is a renter, 
not me, people, not anybody living in this building who actually owns a condo. And as I've said before, these condos are not cheap to buy. Nobody who owns one of these places who is living here, who rents here or stays here for a long period of time like I have is damaging this building in any way. We are respecting everything. The people who are causing the problems are the people who are coming in renters and those owners who don't live here and who are renting these out to strangers for like a week, two weeks. Well, these people come here and they don't, they don't care. They're down here on vacation. They're going to do whatever. They're going to let their dogs poop on, poop on the carpet. They're going to be doing things out on the landing that they shouldn't be doing and raising a ruckus. Not that I've ever seen that, but I can imagine. And it's never taken into consideration that, you know what? These people who are owners are not going to damage this place. They're not going to, um, you know, degrade this place or devalue anything. But we are the pe- we the people who live here all the time are the ones who are going to have to suffer. It's not right. It just doesn't make any sense. This goes back to like the PDGA thing I was talking about. Um, it makes no sense. People just enforcing rules for no particular reason other than they have the power to do so. And, um, you know, you know they're, they're enforcing they're, – they're looking for the wrong people. So that happened to me uh, last Thursday. I'm not going to make a promise I'll never uh, putt out there again. I probably will, and I will just dare them to catch me. So that's what's going on in this building uh, right now. It's easy for me to forget about it until I get in front of this microphone, and I, you know, I have to talk about it. So, uh, what are uh, yeah? Deborah doesn't like the dog rules. Stephanie doesn't like the dog rules. Twinkle, who is in the dog business, says that's crazy about the dog walking. M says, I heard in Bellevue, Washington, where Microsoft headquarters is located so in a wealthy area, they have to get their dog's DNA done. If they find their poo is found on the grounds, they get a huge fine. M, I've heard that. I've heard that. And once again, I'm not for dogs pooping on this property. But here's what I know. None of the people who live here have that, let allow that to happen. Allow that to happen. What needs to happen is the people, the owners of the condos who are running out to these strangers, those owners need to be given a hard time. You know, they don't live here, so they'll just rent to anybody. Now, my owner doesn't live here either, but also they knew that I was going to be living here for a while. And I've lived here over three years. I'm not some, just some weekly renter. So uh, they'll just rent to anybody. They don't live here, so they don't care. They own the condo, but because they don't live here, they don't see the dog poop. They don't see this. They don't see that. They don't care. And so those are the people who should be cracked down on, not the people who are actually living here and taking care of this building and, and following the rules. Drives me nuts, but it's hard to, you know, but... For the management, it's hard to give a hard time to people who don't live here. So we bear the brunt of it. I, this is why I hate corporate structure and, and all of that stuff. I just – and I've been that you – know, you know, that's one of the reasons on top of everything else that I had to leave 7-Eleven. There were just too many people there who were willing to follow stupid rules that made no sense, 
And they didn't care that they didn't make sense as long as they were getting their paycheck every two weeks. That is something that Ed Denzel cannot do. He can't do that. He can't do it. Uh, Magic, you're from Pittsburgh. I love how you represented. Well, I know how to represent Ferry when I have to. I'm a very good guy. I'm a very laid-back guy. But I don't like people who um, you know, come up with rules and they can't explain why they exist. And what damage, you know, why does this happening? Why are you going after me? I, I don't get that. You know, and some guy just walking around the property enforcing rules that he knows make no sense, but he has to enforce them because he needs a paycheck. It, this is one of the, you know, if we're going to talk about the decline of Western civilization, that's where it starts. Um, Ed doesn't play well with others. It's okay. I don't either. Stupid rules. You go, Ed. I, I, yeah, I don't play well with them. All uh, right, so stupid rule. Thank you, Fairy Twinkle. Conundrum at the condominium. Good one, Twinkle. I wish I would have thought of that. So those are some of the things going on in my life. Personal stuff went a little longer than usual, but I think these are things that uh, everybody uh, can relate to, especially like if you have a house and you have like an HOA. You know, I'm kind of like my mother in that way. My mother and father lived, moved to... Renfrew, uh, they live in the Brandywine development there. And I can't tell you how many, tr- many pro- tr- I wouldn't say a lot of trouble, but you don't know how many times my mother, um, God rest her soul, um, got in trouble with the HOA for things that she did around the outside of their place. You know, too many plants, too many flowers, too many bird feeders, too many this, too many that. You, my mother, Beautiful woman, salt of the earth. Everybody loved Loretta Denzel. But if you wanted to tick her off, that's a good way to tick her off. Not allowing her to put one more bird feeder out or this or that. She got so ticked off. And so I guess I'm a little bit like her. I agree with her. It was crazy. My dad still lives there. It doesn't bother him as much, but it certainly bothered my mother. So Puma says I could never live in an HOA. So there you go. Let's move on, what do you say, to the true crime portion of this uh, show tonight. Like I said, I went a little longer than usual, but just a lot of things going on that I, that I wanted to pass along. And I know a lot of you, whether you're watching live or watching later or listening to this, you can identify with a lot of this. And the fact is, I know a lot of you work um, you know, in, in a corporate atmosphere. And I know you know what I'm talking about, that you are required to do things that don't make any sense. You're the person who knows the job. You know what is required of you. But somebody, it's somebody who never had your job is telling you what to do and how you should do it. And these rules don't make any sense. It's driving you nuts. It sucks. Okay. And uh, I'm sure if you could find your way out of it, to do something else without those things you, you do that. I realize a lot of people are stuck in those situations and I, and I feel horrible for all of them. And I feel very fortunate in my life since about 2000 that I've never had to deal with that. Even when I had a supervisor, like at this job I had between 2005 and 2009, uh, working on printers and fax machines, driving all over the Southwest. I hardly ever talked to my, the boss who was the owner of the place He hardly gave me any instructions or anything else. It was basically, 
here's everything, Ed, go figure it out, which is the kind of job that I really prefer because I can be trusted to get work done without somebody looking over my, uh, over my shoulder. Unfortunately, maybe there are a lot of people out there who need somebody looking over their shoulder. I'm not one of those. Uh, IFA. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in security positions that love the power chip, sad state of affairs. DK, you may not play well with others, but you treated this fan like a friend. I'm a very good guy. I'm a very friendly guy, but, uh, I, I think I'm also a very reasonable guy. And I don't like people who aren't reasonable. Uh, way too controlling. No HO for him free. A subdivision doesn't have it. Thank you. You know, Kathy says, so California is fo- so full of HOAs. I hate mine. Looks like I've hit a topic tonight. I love when I do that. All right, moving on. And maybe the security guard or that guy at the PDGA watches the video. I hope they do. So, uh, moving on, let's talk about, uh, some unfound stuff. First, as you always know, I go right to the poll, uh, that is posted in the discussion group every Saturday morning. I was able to post that before I think I posted, I might've even posted that poll during my round on Saturday morning, maybe from my phone. But it was the Chase Lackey poll. I'll have you know that the Chase Lackey episode has been very, very popular, especially here on YouTube. Already has about 2,300 views after only three or four days, which is a crazy uh, number, at least in Unfound's world. So I appreciate everybody who is uh, taking the time to watch it here on YouTube. I can only take for granted that there are a lot of new people finding Unfound, and that's very exciting. Thank you. But I posted the poll, and I simply asked what happened, who caused Chase Lackey's disappearance. I had the options that he walked off by himself, that his friend Addison caused his disappearance, or someone else caused his disappearance. And in the discussion group, uh, overwhelmingly, uh, people think that Addison is responsible for... uh, Chase's disappearance. I'm going to guess this is probably because of the way Addison acted after he lawyered up. He didn't act too concerned that his good friend went missing. In addition to what I talked about in, in the summation about how uh, Addison had portrayed himself to be something other than who he really was. So that certainly all added to probably cause the public to think that now in the think tank it was a little more mixed i think that there um there were more people open to the idea that chase uh took off by himself for whatever reason maybe he thought that he was going to get exposed he thought his family was going to find out what he was doing and couldn't live with that certainly possible i think there's some other disappearances we've covered where that could have been a possibility. Maybe Craig Freer, coincidentally, uh, we just revisited that disappearance a few weeks ago. I think uh, a lot of people are open to the idea that he went missing all on his own because he got caught lying to his parents about going to his job. But it was a little more mixed. Uh, I think that foul play was still the number one choice in the think tank. But like I said, it was more like 70% thinking there was foul play, but 30% thinking that, Chase uh, took off all by himself. 
podcast for me in the blog. And if you'd like to read what I wrote there, it's unfound or patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast for the low, low, low price of $2 a month. You can read what I write. There it's 50 cents a week. That's a pretty good deal. I decided the chase walked off. I see no reason to believe that foul play occurred. I know crazy given that he was doing something he shouldn't have been. And he was surely around some shady people. I just have a hard time putting it all together to come to the foul play conclusion. And in fact, even though I know the Joshua Guimond podcast is going on right now, and if you've listened to it, it is certainly going in the direction of foul play. Of course, as you all know, I don't think foul play happened in Joshua Guimond's disappearance either. But I see a lot of similarities between Chase's disappearance and Josh's disappearance. As far as those photos go, a lot of people are going to make light of that. And I think I know exactly who messed around with that in in, um, Chase's apartment uh, after that first photo was taken. But I've not had a chance to talk to Chase's family about that yet, so I'm not going to reveal that publicly. I have a pretty good idea uh, of who did that. And I think you can come to a very logical conclusion if you think about it. But I'm inclined to believe that Chase uh, took off – And I just don't, once again, I've not had a chance to talk to Chase's uh, family yet since the episode came out. I will, of course, eventually do that. But I'm just going to leave it at that. They, of course, believe there was foul play. And if they want to continue to believe that, totally fine with me. I don't argue with people about theories. However they want me to help them in the future, I will do that. We do not have to agree on a theory for me to help them. Okay, that is never a stipulation. I just want everybody to understand that there are many guests who have been on Unfound who think differently than I do regarding their own personal disappearance. That does not affect how I help them, how I feel about them, what I think about them, or anything at all. Never. Never, never, never. Never. So I just have obviously a little different opinion than most people regarding Chase's disappearance. But I am kind of used to that at this point after almost six years of doing Unfound. I find myself having a different opinion than many of you most of the time. So that is the poll, and I've been doing those for a while. And it is amazing to me how many times the think tank doesn't agree with the discussion group, and then I may maybe don't agree with either group. So that's the way it works out. Moving on, uh, next topic will be uh, the next Unfound Now. Uh, We are coming to the end of the month. Unfound Now, if you are unfamiliar with it, is a monthly series, monthly episode that's been going on for over two years now. Hard to believe. And it gives me a chance to uh, talk about recent disappearances, disappearances that have happened within the 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 preceding couple months before that episode comes out. Of course, the last one was Dylan Rounds. It was a very popular Unfound Now, maybe the, the most popular one I've ever done. That's not planned that way. It's just the way it worked out. And, of course, he is still missing two months after his disappearance. 
Uh, I've been trying to go back and forth between male, female, male, female. So, of course, for July, I'll be covering the disappearance of a a female. I've already uh, picked her out. I've read about her disappearance. And for all of you who are members at this channel, once again, remember the join button down there. You will be getting that this weekend. I'm hoping either July 29th, July 30th. I've not even written notes for it yet or anything else. But today I took the time to kind of go through NamUs and look at the most recent female disappearances in the United States and kind of look over all of them. And I picked out the one that I thought was the best to cover for an Unfound Now episode. So you can look for that this coming weekend. For everybody else, if you are not yet a member of this channel, you will have to wait till the following weekend, somewhere around December or December, August 5th, August 6th, something like that. But uh, it'll get done uh, for sure. I will make the time. And in fact, I will tell you, I'm not going to tell you all who this person was. (laughs) Um, But uh, he sent me a message within the last couple days you know, I, I think he was a little concerned that maybe I have too much on my plate, being that I was behind on a, some, a couple things, probably mainly the Patreon stuff, writing the blog uh, for Craig Freer's revisitation of his disappearance and doing the audio version, the Michaela Bally blog that I had to write and the recording for that. And then, of course, Chase Lackey's disappearance, writing that blog and doing the audio for that. Once again, all of this is on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. So he sent me a message being concerned, you know, do you think you have too much on your plate? Do you, you know, or something? And I wrote him back, hey man, I'm just getting started. <laughs> so uh, there is a reason that very early on, a, a guy who has been a different guy, who's been listening to Unfound since just about the beginning, uh, once labeled me very, very early on in him listening to Unfound, the hardest working person in true crime. And I think I continued to live up to that label almost six years later. Uh, I think you would be hard pressed to find somebody who works harder, does more, puts in more time and everything else than myself, not to brag about myself too much so he sent me that note and it kind of made me laugh and i was like i'm just getting started (laughs) this you know i I work a lot but you know i still have time to go play disc golf i still have time for tournaments i still have time to go to illinois and ohio and pennsylvania uh i still have time on a whim to go down to estero of course i did do work while i was down there at my airbnb um you know i have time to go to trivia on thursday so i you know, I get out and do stuff, but, um, you know, I do like doing my unfound work. And I, and I will admit that, you know, being a DK that you are in here uh, and got to meet me and uh, we talked about unfound and things, I have to – I'm going to admit this, and I'm not saying this just to be a goody two-shoes, that I enjoy uh, playing disc golf. Of course, I enjoy it more when I'm playing well. But it's not that hard for me to put Unfound in front of, in front, uh, you know, it's, of course, it's number one anyway, but it's always number one. It's always going to be number one. But 
you know, when I'm out there, if, if at some point I just decide, you know what, guys, I'm just going to quit this round and go back and do some work. I wouldn't feel bad about that at all. And that is something that I always try to remember that, you know, a lot of the people that I'm playing with, for example, at disc golf tournaments, they would rather probably be on that disc golf course than be at their job. Probably me. I have to tell you, it's not so clear cut. And I, and I, you know, I'm not trying to once again, be a goody two shoes or self-righteous or anything like that. But, you know, I genuinely enjoy this. I don't like the topic. The, the disappearances are horrible. I wish they didn't exist. But I enjoy working on this. I enjoy putting in 70 hours a week for this podcast. And, you know, I, I, you know, I have to admit, when I'm out in the disc golf course, I realize a lot of people, mainly I play with guys, I realize that they aren't, necessarily in the same situation a lot of them like for worlds they may only get two or three weeks of vacation a year and so they want to maximize it and so this is their good time for the year me disc golf isn't even the best time in my life but it does tick me off when i don't play well (laughs) so there's that so so when this when once again this listener who's been around Unfound for a long time now, you know, asked me if um, you know if everything's getting a little too much for me, I'm like, man, you don't even know the ideas that I have in my head of things that I want to do yet that haven't happened yet. You don't even know. But it was a funny question. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, newsletter. Uh, of course, since it's the end of the month, that will be coming out this weekend too. And then a week later, it will be out as an audio file here on here on um, YouTube as well. N- not sure what the topics will be for this newsletter, but I'm sure I will find something. If you are not on the newsletter list yet, just email me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com to get on the list. I think you'll like it. Uh, and I should I should maybe mention one more thing before we go any further. Uh, you do know, everyone, that my birthday is next Monday. August 1st, 1970. It was a good day. It was a Saturday. I was born in the morning. Well, I will be doing uh, this live show next Monday on my uh, birthday, as long as I make it from then, from now till then. So uh, we will have a birthday version of the live show. Maybe it will be something unique and special. I, I don't know. We'll just have to see. But a week from now, I will be turning 52. Believe it. All right. Let me... Um, answer a question that was a good question this was a uh a question i've not gotten before and um it goes along of course with the travel that i've been doing um over the last two weeks 
Emily, not my assistant, Emily, but another Emily asked me on my trip. Did you forget to pack anything before your trip or leave anything behind? This is a very interesting question because my dad always asks me the same thing when he knows I'm going somewhere, uh, whether to like down to Nova Southeastern university, like I did last year to speak for a couple days or when I go on a disc golf trip, uh, you know, somewhere, maybe not to worlds, but you know, sometimes when I go to like Orlando, I may be there two days or something like that. My dad always asks me, you know, did you remember any, everything? Did you forget anything? Well, Emily, if you were watching or listening, I'll have, you know, that I have a travel checklist on this laptop over here that I use anytime I go anywhere. I have a lot of stuff to take, um, especially if I'm going to be doing work on the road like I had to do when I went to Illinois and then to Ohio and then to Pennsylvania. I have to take a lot of stuff. And so I have a checklist that I've had for a while now that is a combination of disc golf stuff, unfound stuff, personal stuff, clothes, toiletries like razors and everything else. I have a long checklist that I use every time I'm going to be going away. And I can tell you that I cannot remember a time when I've forgotten anything. Uh, it's just just kind of the way I am. I like making lists. I like making to-do lists. I like on my phone, like if I'm going to go to the grocery store, I will do a notes thing. I will put things I need to get on the phone. Um, you know how I go about doing these interviews with outlines and things. I love putting lists together and outlines. And maybe I'm used to do that because of all the writing that I've done over my life. But I did not forget to pack anything uh, for my trip over those 10 days. And I didn't leave anything behind either because why I use that same list on my computer, no matter where I go. So I go to my buddy Dave's in Illinois when I'm going to be packing up, going to my sister's in Ohio. I have that list. Do I have everything? Because it's not just the computers. It's the wires that go with the computers, the plugins to the wall, uh, this microphone. Maybe I took my microphone stand. I took one of my tripods so I could do a little map analysis video while I was at Dave's. Um, there's a lot of ancillary things that go with the major things. Um, you know, this includes my gun, you know, everything else. So I just don't forget things uh, because I have this list. And I would recommend that uh, to anybody. You know, my dad, you know, when he goes places, of course, he's 85 years old. He doesn't have dementia or Alzheimer's or anything, but he can be forgetful. And I always tell him, you know, you should make just make a generic list. Just have it out when you're going to go somewhere. You'll just have it. Just go over it. Make sure you have everything. Of course, he doesn't listen to me. Even though he is kind of a list guy too. I don't know. But that's a very good question, Emily. And um, like I said, I you know, uh, that's just kind of uh, who I am. Uh, the Oracle says, you definitely go above and beyond. Do you ever get overwhelmed? 
Uh, that's going back maybe to what I was talking about before. Thank you, the Oracle. Um, not really. Uh, you know, at this point, a lot of the things that uh, get done for unfound, it's, it, it, you know, we're kind of in a, in, you know, in a, we have a pattern here. Um, you know, the live shows, of course, they've gotten moved to Mondays, which is a little bit of a change, but I have to tell you that this has certainly made a lot of things easier for me. This was a very, very good idea that came to mind at the beginning of the summer. Certainly opened up a lot of things, and I do seem to have more time now, even though the weeks don't haven't gotten any longer. But, you know, the, the episodes are every Friday. You know, I know I need to block out some time to write the blog and do all of these things and talk to people. Um... The only thing uh, I get nervous about now or feel overwhelmed by now, the Oracle, is when people say that they're going to talk to me or going to do interviews, and when we schedule it, doesn't happen. That's, that's when I get overwhelmed and ticked off. That's about the only time these days. And it still happens. So... um But, you know, overwhelmed as if everything is, like, too much... Not really. I just get upset and ticked off. Uh, like I said, when I, you know, blocked out time, the person has agreed to the time. I call the person. The person doesn't tick off, pick up, and doesn't call me back, and just kind of disappears. You know, to, for lack of a better term, still happens. That's really the only thing that gets to me these days after six years. Spleen says, you remind me of my older brother. He was born in August 1970 as well, Mel. He must be a darn good guy, Spleen. Charles says it must be genetic. Charles being my nephew. Uh, are you a list maker too, Charles? Are you uh, that, um, that I, I don't know if we've ever had that. Uh, of course, Charlie and I have talked about many things over the years, him being my nephew and having known him for about 25 or maybe 28 years now. But um, I don't know if we've ever talked about that. Okay. Puma, I'm a list maker as well. Organization, organization. You know, the funny thing is I, I don't know how organized I am. I, I'm not organized. I'm not messy. I'm somewhere in between. Deborah, but maybe I make lists, haha, and forget them at home. That's funny. He's a good guy. Good to know. It's Spleen Twinkle. Hang some birthday decorations in the background on Monday. I suppose I could do that, Twinkle. And you, you say so you make lists too, uh, Charlie. Interesting. I love it. That's good to know. Okay. So does uh, Charles? Do you know if uh, your mother does that too? I've never talked to her about. I don't know if uh, she's a list maker or not, uh, and I really don't know if Brian and Michael are list makers either. I don't think I've ever talked to them about that. So. Very interesting. And everybody wants to know, Charles's mother is my sister, Diane, and Brian and Michael are my brothers, and those are Charles's uncles. All right. So very interesting. Okay. So let's move on. Uh, so thank you for the question, Emily. She Does she? Well, next time I talk to her, I'm going to ask her about that. That'll be a good conversation. Okay, thanks. Good. Excellent. 
All right. Uh, Zoe Campos. Uh, I think Paula's in here. Paula has been keeping tabs on uh, the trial date for Carlos Rodriguez and his, what we believe to be his murdering of Zoe Campos. And that trial is still scheduled for August 15th. Um, I've been meaning to contact Zoe's mother, Melinda, about that, but I've not, but I'm going to put that on my list. There you go. Uh, for me to do that. Is there a chance that I could go out there for a couple days for the trial? Probably not, but maybe it's still a ways off. This is only what August or July 26th or something, 25th. I still got some time to think about that. I have nothing going on in the middle of the month. So I suppose I could do that. And uh, we'll just have to see. But I have been invited by Melinda, but that was a while ago. And I don't want to invite myself out there. But I will. I do want to talk to her. I think I. So I'll be calling her something. But all of you should know as of right now. Uh, there's Paula who's been, there's Paula in the chat. Uh, there's the suppression of evidence hearing on August 4th. I wonder if they are trying to suppress his confession. I don't know. But um, Paula, like you told me a few days ago, the trial's supposed to start happening on August 15th. And of course, this is one we've been waiting for. And just to show you how long it's been, is that Carlos Rodriguez was taken into custody for Zoe's murder around the time my mother died which was November of 2018. That was all going on at around the same time. My mother getting very sick and passing away and Carlos and Zoe's remains being found all in that same month of November, 2018. So we're coming up on four years. Crazy. So I think we're due. DK, how many chances do you give people who blow off your interview? Paula, uh, that's a good question. I'll get, that's a good question, DK. I will get to that in a moment. Paula, we have plenty of room for you, Paula. You're very kind. And everybody should know, Paula and I uh, have already met in person um, at Amarillo back in uh, the summer of 2019. And in fact, I I think I can say, Paula, Paula actually bought me dinner at the uh, get-together we had for Tom Brown uh, in Amarillo in July of 2019, which is over three years ago, and I don't know where the time has gone. But, um, so Paula and I have met and I appreciate you're very kind, Paula. Thank you. I, I may take you up on your offer. You're very kind. Thank you. Puma flying to Amarillo, rent a car, drive to Lubbock. It's only about an hour drive. All right, Puma. Puma knows. Thank you for that. Uh, DK asked me, how many chances do you give people who blow off your interview? Well, you know, DK, I never say never. Uh, I am here. Um, I never want to totally exclude anybody from Unfound. All right, that would be wrong. And I also, um, I understand people have things going on in their lives. Things happen. I also realize that doing these interviews for some people is not easy. Okay, I take that all into account. And I also try to not let my uh, pride or ego get in the way of somebody standing up like standing me up like we may 
in a more um, general situation, like if you're going out on a date and you're supposed to meet somebody somewhere, you show up, but your date doesn't and you get stood up and you feel all ticked off and you're all upset and everything. It's a very natural way to feel. I try not to do that, but I'm human too. What, what upsets me though is that really I can only devote, you know, I guess what I'm saying is that when that person blows me off, really what they did is just waste my time, time that I could have used working on some other interview or doing, you know, reading or something else on some other disappearance of somebody who is not going to stand me up. And that's what ticks me off. You're wasting my time because my time could actually be spent with somebody who is in the same position as this person, but who will not stand me up. It's not necessarily about me not getting respected or anything, but I'm a busy guy as it is. And I'm here to tell you, there are many disappearances in which I've worked on them for hours reading things, preparing things, finding out things, putting an interview outline together, doing this, doing that, hours and hours and hours. And when it comes to the interview, the person doesn't show up and never talks to me again. That's happened. And um, it all goes back to, I could have been doing, you know, working on somebody else's disappearance who might value my work a little bit more. And it also ticks me off because I don't like missing Fridays, as all of you know. I think we've only, since Unfound started, we've only missed three Fridays. Two around the time when my mother died, and then the one back in March when I was converting from Podomatic to Spotify because all the files were getting moved over and everything else. I've only ever missed three Fridays. Now, some of those have been revisitations and things, but I always try to keep it somewhat new. So I don't like missing Fridays. Um, you know, just from a professional point of view. So when it comes to you ever blow off your interview, how many chances do you give people who blow off your interview? I'll give them a couple times. And there are some people I would never mention, like some people who I talked to in 2017 who kind of blew me off. And then all of a sudden, like in 2020, they'll get back in touch with me and they'll say, yeah, I'm ready. And in fact, I will tell you that uh, within the last year and a half, I would never say who it is, there was a guest who blew me off multiple times back in 2017. Multiple, multiple, multiple times. And then all of a sudden, this guest turned around, contacted me out of nowhere, and came on the program as if nothing ever happened. And it was great. And I still talked to this guest. And I was happy to help this guest out. And she did a great interview. It was fantastic. It was great. So you never know what can happen. So I never want to ban any guests from the program for, for blowing me off because you never know when their attitude is going to change or things are going to change life, you know, life for them is going to change, but it does tick me off. (laughs) So there you go.
Uh, Paula says you were never going to get a chance to eat. That's true. I was very busy uh, that evening in Amarillo, Paula. That is true. And I appreciate that. Thank you. The food was excellent at that place. Um, it was a good time. Uh, will trial be in Lubbock? I guess it will be twinkle. I think it will be. Let's move on. Um, man, we got 45 minutes to go. This show is flying. Um, where do I, where do I want to go next? Um, just to go through a couple up speaking of Fridays and upcoming episodes, of course, we have the interview that's already done for this Friday. And pretty sure this weekend I'll be doing the interview for next Friday's episode. So that'll be August 5th. But being that we are coming up on August, the next update episode will be happening the end of August, the last Friday of August, because we're due. And then, as you know, I always like to do, always want to celebrate the anniversary of Unfound. And so we're coming up on the sixth anniversary. And that will be the first Friday of September, in which, again, I will replay the first interview I ever conducted for Unfound. And that was with uh, Mary Lyle and the disappearance of Susie Lyle. And I will, of course, once again, add new commentary and, and try to make it at least original, but the original interview I did with, with Mary way back in August of 2016 will play again. And I, I I've been asked uh, a few times with these anniversary episodes, are you ever going to change that? <laughs> you know, uh, do not other people deserve for their interviews to replay and everything. Um, maybe, but you have to understand something that not only has Mary Lyle, uh, was she the first interview I ever did for Unfound, for Unfound, but she has been so supportive in the last six years. You just don't even know. You do not know how many guests have appeared on Unfound because of Mary's help. Okay, and I just spoke to her. When was it? Uh, a month ago or something, six weeks ago, two months ago. And, uh, you know, we get along great. And I just, and being her prominence within the missing persons community, um, let's just put it this way. Her interview, Susie's disappearance, is going to always be the anniversary episode until Susie's disappearance is solved. All right, when Susie's disappearance gets solved, then I will um, make another episode, the anniversary uh, episode. Uh, you know, another interview as part of the anniversary episode. But until that happens, it will be Mary Lyle, uh, first interview I ever conducted. Because that just, of course, on top of everything else, I think that makes the most sense. So once again, we got an update episode. I think that's number 12, episode, update episode number 12 that is coming up. And then the week after will be the sixth anniversary. Well, hello, Jill. Glad you could uh, join us uh, tonight from Arizona. Good to see you. Hey, gang. Hey, back to you, Jill. Um, let me um, talk about this. Um, the Kristen Smart trial is going on and 
you know, I've been following it. Many of you probably know a lot more about it than I do, but I just wanted to, you know, what I've been reading about it, some of the issues that I see, some of the problems. It seems to me that that Paul and Ruben Flores probably are going to be found guilty. Probably. Uh, Surely, you know, when I think of it in terms of, you know, was this a murder or whatever else, of course, we have to remember Kristen's remains have not been found yet. Certainly Paul and Ruben look or seem to be more guilty than Steve Pankey is for Steve, for Janelle Matthews's murder. Surely. The problem, though, is that, you know, in reading, for example, there was a friend of Kristen's uh, who was on the the stand, I I think, the end of last week. And she was saying how weird Paul was and, you know, he was acting weird and wanted to do this. And, you know, she that's what she was saying on the stand. The problem, of course, is that Paul might have done this with many women, but Kristen is the only one he knew who went missing. So how do you rationalize that? Not to mention, I'm sure that this uh, young woman, this friend of Kristen's, has run into many weird guys over the years, but none of them have ever, you know, maybe possibly caused the disappearance or murdered anybody. So we always have to remember that when we're hearing this, as oh man, that just seems like such damning evidence. Maybe not. And in fact, we also have to consider there is confirmation bias. That because a large amount of people believe that Paul did do something to Kristen, well, then that starts to shade shade everybody's opinion of Paul. And so this friend of Kristen's may be looking back at it and saying, oh, yeah, well, since everybody thinks that Paul killed Kristen, well, then he must have done it. And so I need to make sure I sound like I believe he did it too. Very common. There's all sorts of social sociological studies and psych, psychiatric studies and marketing studies that prove all of this to be true. Human tendencies to do these things, saying things that aren't necessarily true just because they, people want to be seen as part of the group or something like that. We have a lot of confirmation bias going on. Because Paul and Ruben have been charged, they must have done it, and they may very well have. But let's not think they did it because of Paul acting weird or making weird glances or everything else. I get it. He was he was seen with Kristen the night that she went missing. And certainly in disappearance land, that means a lot. It certainly means a lot. But I think what also is coming out at this trial, as I've read, that Kristen seemed to have some things on her own that were going on that had nothing to do with any guy. It seemed that Kristen had some issues. You know, this whole thing, um, you know, something going on between her and her parents about how Kristen had lied about a lot of things. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know. You know, um, in addition, uh, Kristen's father was on the stand and he was asked a, a point blank question about going to the to the Flores property or something. He said he couldn't recall, which sounds like a BS answer to me. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is 
once again, I'm not the expert. I know many of you have been following this. I know Sheree, my assistant, who is the moderator, has been following this very closely. And everybody seems to think that Paul, the son, killed Kristen. He tried to, tried to rape her. And she resisted. Something happened. He killed her. And then his father assisted in covering it all up, maybe burying her in the backyard of, the, where, of where Ruben lived. And this would not be unusual. Where did Andrea Bowman end up? In the backyard of her parents' house. Speaking of Zoe Campos, where did she end up? In the backyard of Carlos Rodriguez's house. So it would not be crazy to think that that is where Kristen went and where her remains were put. The problem is, of course, they've looked there and nothing was there. And they said, well, there was some biological matter there. Well, I don't know what that means. You know, they either found her DNA in the dirt there or they didn't. Not to mention, you know, how do you go about removing all the remains of a, a, a woman after all these years? You know, given the deterioration, not to be morbid, but, you know, how do you go about doing that to the point where when scientists, when investigators go in there, they don't find anything? So I think they're going to con get convicted, but I think it's just because there's just not going to be much other choice. I think from a scientific point of view, it seems to be lacking. I think there's circumstantial evidence to think that Paul and Ruben had something to do with Kristen's disappearance. Surely more than with Steve Pankey and Janelle Matthews. But there just doesn't seem to me to be anything scientific. And on top of everything else, uh, Kristen Smart has not been found. Which, as we all know, certainly can complicate murder trials. But also what I wanted to talk about regarding this is that this just kind of shows the difference between men's and women's disappearances. Here's what I think I know. Maybe Joshua Guimans, being that I've already mentioned him, this might be another good example. That... In situations where men are out and at parties and maybe drinking, rarely do people think, well, something happened, there was foul play happened, and he got taken to somebody's house and he got murdered. More likely, we're inclined to believe, well, this guy stumbled off and he stumbled off into the woods and he died and he just hasn't been found yet. Not that happens sometimes, and yes, sometimes they're murders. Whereas when it comes to women, and they're at parties and they get drunk. Most of the time people think, well, some they must have run in these women must have run into some men, and those men killed those women in, in each particular disappearance. It just shows one of those big differences between men and women's disappearances, even though the facts are the same. Gender matters. It does. When we start looking at what are the best possibilities for each. So um, another thing that comes to mind regarding Kristen Smart's disappearance, and uh, I've talked about this before, I've written about this before, is that it is, it's amazing how a lot of these disappearances are caused by our own human tendencies. This is probably um, best illustrated when husbands make their wives go missing and have probably murdered them. 
that, uh, you know, relationships uh, can be volatile. And we do get jealous and we do get possessive. We, we try to avoid those things. But the reason it seems to crop up in all of us, because this is something within all of us, we have the ability to control it. We have the ability to look at that and say, well, that's not right. That's not healthy. That's not right the w- way of thinking. But how many times do we let our emotions take over situations? How many times have we allowed our infatuations with people to get the best of us? Now, usually that doesn't drive us to uh, murder or anything. But I'm what I'm saying here is those tendencies are what causes disappearances like Christmas Marks. It starts out as an infatuation that gets out of control. Uh, with relationships, a lot of men are possessive. Most of those men do not cause their wives' disappearances. And in fact, we might even look at the opposite way. A lot of times, men who aren't even considered to be that possessive cause their wives' disappearances. But it all comes from our human tendencies, our human flaws. And uh, that's something that's very interesting to me. The fact is, Paul Flores, my interpretation of Kristen Smart's disappearances, he was attracted to Kristen, and she wasn't attracted to him. He wanted to have sex with her. She didn't want to have sex with him. Now, there's nothing wrong in wanting to have sex with a woman. There's no wrong in wanting to have sex. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have sex with him. I don't care about the sexuality. The problem comes in when the other person says no. And how do you as the aggressor react to that? A lot of people just say, well, okay. But some people keep trying and don't take no for an answer. But this all starts at the same place. The guy who does, who is interested in a woman who pursues her and actually she is interested in him and they end up having a relationship. It all starts in the same place as it did with Paul being interested in Kristen. The big difference is she was not interested in him seemingly if we're to believe that he caused this disappearance. It's uh, it's something that continues to fascinate me as a person who studies disappearances because a lot of these things can be anchored in things in emotions that we feel every day. These are not un- the way these things get unstarted is not unusual. The way they get ended is unusual, and of course, it's illegal, immoral, and everything else. But everything has its start at the same place. Very interesting to me. So we'll keep covering that. Like I said, I think that Paul and Ruben are going to be found guilty, even though I don't know if there's any really scientific evidence. Uh, at this point, to support uh, their convictions. Moving on, uh, this came up in my um, memory timeline today. And it was eight years ago. This is going to find, this was on my regular page. July 25th, 2014. So two years before Unfound got started. Uh, I was still living in Madeira Beach. Um, I wasn't even 44 years old yet. Uh, those were the days. 
But on July 25th, 2014, I wrote this on my personal page on Facebook. I wrote, going to make a prediction. The car, a Prius, that may be involved in the murder of that lawyer in Tallahassee is a rental. Now, of course, what murder of what lawyer am I talking about in Tallahassee? It was the murder of Dan Markell that had occurred uh, earlier that summer. And I made the prediction before any of his ex-wife's family or anybody was even implicated in his murder. I made the prediction that the Prius, the, the, the hit men used was rented. Guess what? That ended up being true. (laughs) So, um, it just kind of popped up today. And I think the reason that I ended up writing that you know, making this prediction well before anybody was ever implicated or anything else was for two reasons. One, there was something wrong with that Prius. There was a picture of it, but something was missing like on the bumper or something was hanging off the bumper. And I started thinking to myself, anybody who owned a car like that would not allow that to be like that, first of all. And then there was something that had to do with the pass with was it with the passenger side mirror like it was a it wasn't a different color but it was supposed to be green but it was black as if it had been replaced and that was also a reason I thought well somebody actually owned this vehicle a personal you know person who bought this car with his or her own money and that mirror got damaged probably a black mirror and a green mirror are going to cost the same. Why wouldn't they just get the mirror that matches the body color? And so that also started me thinking, you know what? This sounds like a rental car. And the, and the reason the rental company didn't want to put the right paint on the car is because they're cheap and it's a rental and they figure it's probably just going to get busted again. So they're going to put the cheapest mirror on there that they can, they can find. I think I don't remember specifically, but I think that was my reasoning. And who knew I ended up being right that the hid men did rent that Prius and it was a murder, uh, by her family, the ex-wife's family. Although, uh, we had these trials earlier this year. Uh, Dan Markell's ex-wife has not been charged with anything, but her brother has been, I think he went to jail and a bunch of other people have gone to jail connected to the brother as well. Still, they haven't been able to prove that the ex-wife knew about any of this, either before the fact or after the fact. But that was funny. It just popped up. You know, if you have Facebook, you know those memories. They'll go back several years. Here's what you wrote on this date in 2015. This is what I wrote on my personal page in 2014. Funny. I ended up getting that right. Who knew? Um, let's go on. Uh, I want to talk about this Brinks heist. I'm going to read an article to you. These kinds of things fascinate me. And in fact, I had a listener who used to be, uh, work for not Brinks, but some other company, uh, sent me some information and, and his insight into it. So I appreciate that. All right. I'm going to read this. Bear with me inside the highway holdup that netted thieves, $100 million in rare jewels and has left LAPD scratching its head. Crooks waited at a, at a truck stop for the Brinks drivers to pull in at 2 a.m. before emptying the Brinks truck 
in 27 minutes. A gang of thieves stole $100 million worth of jewelry uh, on Interstate 5 on July 11th. So this is like two weeks ago. Wow. Investigators said burglars bypassed the truck's locking mechanism. Police believe several thieves have to be involved. So police, police believe a team of burglars discreetly tracked a truck carrying $100 million worth of jewels from a gem show in Northern California to the L.A. area truck stop before raiding the vehicle in one of the largest jewelry heists ever. The thieves robbed the armored Brinks truck around 2 a.m. on July 11th at a Flying J truck truck stop along Interstate 5 near Grapevine. I'm, uh, Charles, I'm sure uh, your uncle, my brother Brian, probably uh, was in the truck stop a few days back and a few times back in his truck driving days. Uh, this is in the San Joaquin Valley. The burglars managed to bypass the truck's locking mechanism undetected and then loaded the gems into storage containers before, before hauling them away, law enforcement sources allege. Investigators believe several thieves had been involved in the heist, which left 18 victims suffering a loss of multi-millions. The merchandise had been loaded onto the truck the night before following an exhibit hosted by the International Gem and Jewelry Show in San Mateo, south of San Francisco. It was heading to the Pasadena Convention Center. Police are still probing how the thieves got into the truck and whether or not they knew about its valuable contents ahead of the theft. <coughs> Law enforcement sources told the LA Times that two armed guards left the big rig at the truck stop in the early hours of July 11th. The group of thieves then quickly broke into the truck, entered the tractor trailer, and started unloading containers holding jewelry, gold, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and lots of luxury designer watches, including Rolexes. L.A. County Sheriff's Major Tr Crimes Bureau Sergeant Michael Molesky declined to describe the locking mechanism but stated it would not be exceedingly difficult to crack, which kind of amazes me. He also noted from the outside it wouldn't have appeared the truck was carrying riches. The guards openly carrying firearms while driving the vehicle could have tipped off a watcher by. FBI agents and major crime investigators at the sheriff's office have searched the Flying J for clues, interviewed potential witnesses, and reviewed security footage from the truck stop. Molesky declined to reveal further inf information about the case, saying, obviously, we aren't about to say what we have at this stage. Initial estimates indicated $100 million worth of jewels were taken, despite the truck only having been insured for less than $10 million. We are talking multi-millions. It's a large amount of money. International Gem and Jewelry Show President Arnold Duke revealed the truck was transporting many 70 to 100 pound storage containers, housing gems and jewelry. Previous reports indicated the thieves took between 30, 25 to 30 bags containing an unknown number of individual pieces. We are looking at more than $100 million in documented losses. This was an absolutely huge crime. One of the largest jewelry heists ever. We were talking gold and blah, blah, blah. He added, he added, there were 15 exhibitors, each with 5 million to 10 million in merchandise. These are small businesses with their entire wealth vested in that truck. It has destroyed them financially and it affected their health in some cases. Although the loss was massive, Duke noted that the thieves did not manage to take all the valuables from the truck. Brandy Swanson, the, exhibit, the exhibition's director, explained shortly after the theft, that even though their jewels are quite expensive, most vendors who travel between jewelry shows typically underinsure their merchandise because they can't afford to insure it fully. That's where the discrepancy comes in. 
These are mom and pop operators. They're devastated. Some of these people have lost their entire livelihoods. Duke wouldn't discuss security measures at the show, but did note that all people are photographed as they enter the facility. He also claimed merchandise is typically transported in a semi with a bulletproof cab equipped with tracking and elaborate camera systems. The vehicle is also driven by armed guards and its exact route is kept secret. Officials who have stated the thieves likely tracked the truck from San Mateo are probing, probing everyone with knowledge of the route. Flying J's parent company has requested surveillance video from the travel center, which is open 24 seven in an attempt to help law enforcement with the investigation. Brinks issued a statement shortly after the theft stating we are working with law enforcement and we will fully reimburse our customers for the value of their assets that were stolen in accordance with the terms of our contract. Additionally, insurance underwriters claim truck stop cargo thefts are relatively common. Cargo theft is a massive criminal enterprise in the LA area. And last year alone saw more than $57 million in cargo truck thefts. California is also the top state for cargo um, burglaries. Wow. <laughs> Reading a lot. Um, I think as disappearance people, we can learn a lot from this regarding planning and execution. Uh, as you know, uh, you know, I'm not convinced that a lot of disappearances that we cover on Unfound are planned. I think a lot of them are spur of the moment arguments, fights, and yes, some are luring situations like Tyler North, like Jeff Nichols, surely, and we can name many others, but a lot of them are not. So when you start thinking about in the future for disappearances that we cover where you think something might have been planned, I hope you think about this because this certainly was planned. There is no way uh, a bunch of thieves just happened upon this Brinks truck with all of this stuff inside it. Somebody knew something. Now, I will tell you that this um, guy, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but a guy who he used to work for, not Brinks, where did he say he used to work for? He used to work for Loomis, which is kind of the same thing. As a guy who used to do this, he seems to think that this is an inside job. I'll re just read uh, some things. I can't imagine it being any other way than an inside job. And even with the dollar amount, they wouldn't just have anyone doing it. My route was the route to go pick up money for the next day's routes. We had all of the money for all the routes and took it to and from vaults at the end of our day. The security measures are ridiculous. It would have to be complete incompetence by the guards or some Ocean's Eleven type thieves if it was not an inside job. And to be honest, most of the stealing with all armored truck companies are inside jobs. It's just about the big ones or shootings that make the news. We had a couple guys try to steal while I worked at Loomis. But he says that it is, at least with where he worked, it was not proper procedure uh, for both people to leave a truck. Uh, the way it's supposed to work is one guy stays with a truck. If they want, one guy has to go to the bathroom and then they switch out. Both of the guys, guards going inside and leaving the truck alone is not protocol. 
the way this guy who worked for a security company, security truck company, explained it to me. And, and it, but he says, not in any scenario would both guards be allowed to leave the truck at the same time. Technically, even in the robbery scenario, the driver is supposed to stay in the truck. He says, I'm curious if there was possibly a driver and two guards in the back. Well, it says there were only two guards, so I don't know. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, you got to believe that this was some kind of inside job. I guess, I guess the thing that should bother all of us is that if it's not an inside job, how did they get into this truck so easily? You know, even in that article I just read, it said, well, it's not that big of a deal to, to, um, you know, you know, crack one of these locks says who, um, you know, how would the robbers know they could pop the lock that fast? Remember 27 minutes. Now I will tell you something else. And given that I was just just drove 3,500 miles over the last two weeks and, and went by a lot of truck stops. And in fact, I will tell you, when I stopped to get gas, the only place I stop are at truck stops. Um, at two in the morning, most truck stops are full. I can almost guarantee you that this truck stop, this Flying J, had a bunch of trucks in it that night. And still, these thieves felt comfortable going to this truck and, you know, opening it up. This would seem to me to believe, for me to believe, that for some reason, even though this Flying J was probably busy and there were a lot of trucks there and everything at 2 in the morning, for some reason they parked this truck in a place that there weren't any other people around. Now, and so that would be suspicious. Right? You know, how would these thieves know the truck was going to be there? You know, the guards were inside for 30 minutes. Well, what were the heck were they doing inside a, uh, a truck stop at 2 in the morning for that long? You know, it's, you know, the problem, of course, this is July 11th, and here we are July 25th. It's been two weeks. You would think if one of the drivers would have, was involved that the guy would have cracked by now. You'd think that it doesn't seem, and, I, and my impression is that uh, once one of them cracks, all of this is probably going to get solved fairly quickly, but it's not solved. So it seems like an inside job, but it's still unsolved two weeks later. So I don't know if there's like kind of a paradox there or a conflict or, or something. But, you know, but we have to remember something that there have been other heists in history like this that were not inside jobs. Um, you know, we uh, just recently within the last couple months, maybe on this live show or somewhere, I mentioned the Gardner art heist in Boston that was years and years and years and years ago. That is still unsolved, but nobody believes that was an inside job. Some people believe that the mob did it. A lot of different rumors regarding that, but it very well may have just been two guys who figured out they could just go in and take whatever they wanted as long as they acted rough and tough. That the, the Whoever was working there would just submit and they could go in and take the stuff. And for all we know, those paintings are in some storage unit 
in Massachusetts somewhere. And those guys just went back to their regular lives. They just did it for a thrill. But I got to say, that seems a little less complicated than this. Of course, with the, the museum, everybody knows where it is. You know, you could go there. You could probably go check the museum museum out, scope the place out, see how many people are working there. Maybe just casually look what kind of security measures. You know, you know, you know, it's fairly planned. You know, nothing is going to change. Whereas with a truck, now I would say probably a Brinks truck is not going to make it on one tank of gas from San Francisco to LA, maybe. And you can make the prediction that, yeah, they're going to have to stop for gas somewhere. So we might get an opportunity there. But this doesn't sound like that because the truck was by itself for a half an hour. So I just don't know. I'm thinking it's an inside job. It seems like this type of thing would get solved fairly quickly, although they may not necessarily eventually run down all the jewelry that is missing and everything. But that's what I thought about the, the, the murder of Missy Beavers, too, in Texas. And it's still unsolved, what, over five years later, six years later, however long it's been. So I just don't know if we can ever jump to conclusions uh, too quickly with these things. Um, Puma saying inside job. Jasmine says, yeah, I think it's an inside job. And then Puma says bolt cutters. Puma, is that the kind of lock they have on those? You know, you know, I would think that, you know, that, you know, by this time in 2022, that it would, you wouldn't have some sort of padlock on it. You'd have some sort of number code, you know, or something, you know, and where it couldn't, you know, you couldn't use any bolt cutters because the bolt is all covered up. You'd need some sort of combination or, or something to open the door, not just go up there and, you know, bolt cutter to open, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're still using regular padlocks. That doesn't sound very safe though. That doesn't sound very secure. So maybe I'm wrong about that, but it just seems to me they, that they would have a more sophisticated locking system than that. I'll keep, you know, as you know, uh, disappearances are always number one. But when uh, a unique circumstance like a theft like this pops up, it always gets my attention, just like plane crashes do. All right, one more story that I'm going to read, and then we will finish up tonight with, of course, this Friday's upcoming episode. I want to talk about the, of course, the unfortunate was a disappearance, but now it is the death of Christina Lee Powell. The Texas mother of two has been, who has, who was last seen rushing from her San Antonio home on her way to work was found dead in her vehicle and is believed to have been there for days. Police and law enforcement source told Fox News Digital on Monday. Christina Lee Powell, 39, was discovered in the front passenger seat the passenger seat, not the driver's seat, the passenger seat of her 2020 Nissan Rogue around 6.45 p.m. Saturday with no apparent signs of trauma. Investigators are now working to determine the cause and manner of her death. A security guard manning the parking lot on the hundred block of West Interstate 10 in San Antonio called police on Saturday evening after he spotted the woman's body inside. 
and reported a foul odor coming from inside. The guard told investigators the vehicle had been parked in the same location for about a week. And the guard just noted, noticed a woman in the week later. That's nice. Police and medical personnel responded to the scene and pronounced the victim identified as pallet as dead. The Bexar County Medical Examiner's Office is conducting an autopsy to determine the cause and manner of Powell's death. Police said Powell had suffered no apparent injuries and her purse, which contained information that confirmed her identity, was also inside. It was not immediately clear if any medication or writings were recovered at the scene. Temperatures in San Antonio averaged at least in the high 80s and low 90s during the approximate time Powell's vehicle was believed to have been parked in the lot and still nobody saw her. What about all these people that parked next to her car? Her mother, Claudia Mobley, confirmed the news on Facebook on Monday, writing, my beautiful daughter, Christina Powell, has been found deceased. I'm heartbroken. Thank you for all your prayers. Powell, who went by Chrissy, disappeared without a trace on the morning of July 5th after she was last seen hurrying out the front door of the San Antonio home she shared with her mother and her oldest son. On the morning of her disappearance, she told her mom she was running late for work. She was then captured on doorbell camera footage, leaving the house around 10.35 a.m., but was never seen again. Powell left behind her cell phone, it's always a bad sign, which had been placed on the bathroom counter. Medication and possibly also her Apple Watch when she left. She obviously didn't want to be tracked. She drove off in her 2020 Nissan Rogue SUV, but never made it the seven miles or 15 minutes to her office. Claudia Mobley said she reported her daughter missing the next day. It's very sad. Um, but, uh, you know, and this is, I have to admit, this was a disappearance that I was going to consider for, uh, this month's unfound now, of course I won't be doing that now, but, um, when this happened, uh, Shri, my assistant, the moderator of this live show had, you know, did I hear about it? And I had already heard about it. And even at the time, uh, Sheree and I decided that this does not feel like a situation with foul play. This sounds like a woman who was going through something and, and Sheree and I, Sheree and I didn't even know that she left behind her phone and all these other items. And I, as I continue to say, when people willingly leave their houses or their condos or their apartments or their work without their phone, Apple watch, purse, wallet, et cetera, that is a horrible sign. Horrible, horrible, horrible sign. And the odds of finding those people alive is very, very low. But also, the odds of it being foul play are very, very low. We have to view these kinds of disappearances as people who are going through something. Whether they're having a drug issue, a mental issue, depression, mania, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is. This is probably what is going on with these people. Now, why was it that she was found in the passenger seat? I'm sure people are going to be very suspicious regarding that. Could she have been rushing to get high with somebody before work? And she decided to move over into the passenger seat while the other person was in the driver's seat? I guess that seems overtly complicated to me. Um, you know, 
you know, we may never know why she was in the passenger seat instead of the driver's seat. Maybe she died somewhere else and somebody drove her car to that location, then took off and didn't bother to move her back into the driver's seat. Possible. But I want to remind all of you again to read the article one more time. She left behind her cell phone, her medication, and her Apple Watch. Once again, all bad signs that to me do not point to any foul play scenario. Something unfortunately was going on with this woman. Um, Very sad. But you have to remember, this is common. This is a very common type of disappearance in the 21st century. Why? A lot of of people who, who are addicts, we have more addicts than ever. We have more people with mental issues than ever. We have more people with depression than ever. And so these types of disappearances uh, become more common. This is also the reason why I always reject when people say, well, she would never leave her kids. He would never leave his family. Those are just cliches. They're, that, that's all they are. There is no, although a lot of cliches are true, those cliches are false. The fact is parents are leaving their children all the time, committing suicide all the time, leaving their children for other men and women all the time. So we can't make some sweeping declaration about all of it. It's very sad, but we do reality here. We don't do fantasy land at Unfound. So very sad. Um, We'll see if they actually release the cause of death. Uh, We'll try to keep our eyes uh, open on this. Ashri says, got to go early morning for me. Keep your head on a swivel. Okay, and I'm going to be getting out of here too. All of us are going to be leaving here in a few minutes, Shree. Thank you, Shree, for moderating tonight. I deeply appreciate it. But let's get to Friday's episode. It's going to be the disappearance of Belinda Brewster. We're going to be going to San Francisco again. I think this is for the fourth time. Who are they? Uh, Steve Davis, Cameron Remmer, Jackson Miller. Of course, we covered a disappearance in Oakland. Uh, Mandy Stokes. And maybe we covered another disappearance uh, maybe over there in the Oakland area. Kristen Modafferi, thank you, Jill. I knew there was another one. Thank you. She disappeared from the Oakland, San Francisco area too. I forgot to mention her last night during the think tank. Thank you, Jill. So I guess this is like our fifth, sixth, or seventh time going uh, to Northern California, that at least the the uh, urban area of Northern California, for the disappearance of Belinda Brewster. Her daughter, Yukio Ian, is going to be the guest. And I just want to prepare you that there's not a ton of details regarding Belinda's disappearance. Um, she had some issues. Um, she had some drug issues. Uh, it was believed that she was also doing some prostituting. So trying to pin down the exact day date, uh, is tough for her disappearance. The big deal regarding her disappearance is going to be the title of this episode. And the title of the episode is disappearance and divorce because at the time she was going through a divorce And her husband was trying to divorce her. And there is a story that her daughter and and I will talk about in which the 
husband's attorney tried to get Belinda to sign papers and Belinda wouldn't do it. Which just turns out, so turns out, although we do not mention the lawyer's name in the episode, that that lawyer, the lawyer who was the husband's divorce lawyer, ended up getting married to the husband. Now, it's a little unclear how that was able to happen, given that nobody is sure whether Belinda and her husband ever actually got divorced. So that is why this disappearance is being called disappearance and divorce. And of course, I think the theme is going to be how women, you really have to be careful when it comes to breaking up in relationships, divorces, split ups, separations, stuff like that. You always have to be on high alert. Now, very well may be that Belinda was not murdered and her disappearance had nothing to do with her, her divorce or anything else. But it's worthy. It's close enough that it's worthy to talk about in this episode. So once again, this Friday, the disappearance of Belinda Brewster. Uh, we're going to accept January 31st, 1991 is the disappearance date. But frankly, it could be any time in late 1990 or early 1991. San Francisco, California. Her daughter Yukio is the is the guest on both audio and video. Disappearance and divorce is the title of the episode. So that's all I got uh, for this live show. Uh, man, the time went fast. Once again, please give this uh, video a thumbs up if you're watching it. If you're listening to this, please give Unfound a five star review, thumbs up, whatever your platform allows. Subscribe, like, maybe consider joining down below. Talked about all sorts of good stuff. Disc golf, my drive back, car issues, new manager for this building, my birthday next Monday, um, the Chase Lackey poll, Unfound Now coming out later this week, the newsletter, Zoe Campos, uh, upcoming episodes, late August, early September, the Kristen Smart trial, um, and then this Brinks holdup, and then the death of um, this young woman in Texas, her name being Christina Powell. So that's all I got. I hope you all found this informative and enjoyable, and you will see me and or hear me this Friday for, of course, the Friday podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, Marcus says, could you tell me the music you use for info? I got it off of Pond 5, Marcus. I cannot tell you off the top of my head. But it's all um, license-free that I've had to buy for a very, very low price. But I don't know the title of it off the top of my head. Charles, thank you for tuning in. I always love it uh, seeing you in the chat. Good to see you. Thanks for taking some time from your Monday night. As Sri says, keep your head on a swivel. 